Set it to, I don't know. People don't want to hear about this. It's annoying. No. Um, so we're we're back, sort of, kind of, right? Here we yeah, are. we're back um, for another exciting week of recovery in the Middle Ages. You were thinking we were going to do this in person today. Well, I was really <laughs> determined lately to like get back to form and like let's do the show like you know we we used to do it every week, and uh, so I tried to do some more prep. But here's the thing. If we do it over the computer like this, um, I don't have to set anything up. I don't have to put my dogs in a cage. I don't have to like bring my fucking mobile setup over to your house. And all I have to do is press like three buttons and we can do the show. And it's such low maintenance. You know what I mean? Well, if we're going to do it like this, we have to get like my vocals are always lower. Yeah, you need to get, um, can you turn your gain up on your mic a little bit? Yeah, I didn't want it to peak. Just a little, just a, just a hair. Yeah, I didn't want it to peak, but, um, your voice was so booming in the last couple episodes. I'm like, man, I sound like his little brother. I (laughs) see. I don't know how to fix that other than to, um, I think if I got, if we got you from our massive, um, from our massive budget, a Scarlet, um, 2i2, which you could plug the dynamic mic into and then plug the SCART into your computer, that should improve the sound. But again, Ooh. nobody wants to hear about this. So yeah, we can like talk the about Go this XLR. offline. That's like the Go XLR that's like that little unit that you can go straight in with. Yeah. And it like boosts it. Um, I lost my glasses. This is um, interesting to about five nerdy <laughs> oh, audio uh, files out see there. That, that peaked right there. Did it? Uh, I mean, yeah. I'm looking just, at your level and it's not anywhere close to peaking yeah i have to be careful that i just don't scream (laughs) which is hard well we'll try not to make that happen (laughs) well i mean plus we can also you know just get started a little earlier which reminds me do you know why do riot police wake up early nat why do they wake up early to beat the crowds nat To beat the crowds. You know, right? um, my wife requested that uh, I ask you to not do dad jokes at the beginning of the show. I'm like, I like the dad jokes. <sighs> well, give me another one. Though. Hit me. All right. Um, seeing as we're th- at the beginning of the week, what do you call a person who is happy on a Monday? What? Unemployed. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I mean. Very, very. Yeah. Looks yes. like you got. To- Are you sitting in the kitchen? No, I'm, uh, I'm at the dining room table. This is where. You know, the Christmas dinners happen. and Wow. Uh, you get some good light there. coming through there. Yeah, there's a nice light in the backyard. We uh, trim the hedges and, you know, all that exciting <laughs> so suburban <to> stuff. <laughs> I mean, you know, we should th- really we should be thanking the guy who invented Venetian blinds because without him it would be curtains for us all. <laughs> amazing, amazing. What do you get when oh, you cross more. elephant DNA with human DNA? What? A lifetime ban from the zoo. <laughs> Did you ever have sex while camping, Nat? Uh, sure. It's fucking intense. <laughs> okay. I think Who I'm done for today. Sex? One more. What do you call an epileptic in a lettuce field? Oh, my. my come on. Come on. It's a seizure salad, Nat. Uh, 
Really, seizure jokes is that what I've been reduced to. That's a cheap shot. Apparently, that's what I've been reduced to. Anyway, that's <laughs> it for the dad jokes. Uh, please send your complaints, death threats, and... Uh, Mike R. At yeah, middleagesrecovery.com. And we're back. Welcome to Recovery in the Middle Ages, the podcast about two middle-aged suburban dads in their pursuit of life, love, and recovery. I'm Nat X. I'm Mike R. And boy, do we have boy, a show, we have for, a show you. for you. Today on RMA, Nat and Mike return for another week of addiction recovery entertainment. Stand back and be amazed as we discuss the Netflix documentary, Take Your Pills, Adderall, and longtime friend of the show, Charlie, joins us to share his wisdom, all this and more today on a very, very special edition of RMA. And welcome back to the show, everyone. Welcome back. Welcome back. This is going to be our third week in a row. Yeah, without I'm taking a good. break, I'm feeling good. I don't love Zencaster, but you know, we will make do <laughs> as, so we, you're, as uh, we typically do. So you're stab, you're you're just stabbing me with the knife a little bit today. <laughs> we'll, we'll see how this one turns out. We'll see how it turns out, and then we'll make a decision. You know, I do miss Castle Grayskull. Um, did My you dogs miss you too. My dogs, uh, they miss you, Ollie and and Snolly. Yeah, they. Uh, to, uh, I don't know. This is so easy, Nat. I don't know. I guess, I guess I'm getting spoiled by the easiness well, of this. If we can make this sound good, there's no reason. But uh, did you know that the show was brought to you by the Recovery in the Middle Ages Patreon? I'm actually reading off an outline this time. Good. What is Patreon? It's a members-only subscription service featuring Discord, private message, chat, and video meetings, which we have to try to do. Uh, we've got some uh, video episodes up there from the old days. Um, the, the best part is the Inner Sanctum discussion group. Um, and uh, we're having a lot of fun. It's patreon.com slash recovery in the Middle Ages. Yeah. Have we gotten any new patrons? Um, I think. Not really. It's been, <laughs> like the patrons <laughs> that are on there now are pretty active. So it feels like there's a lot of people. Um, but yeah, new people are joining all the time. There's a really cool mug that gets shipped out after you're a member for a few months. And I don't even have one of those mugs. What else do they get? Uh, they could get a sticker. They could get, um, they chat with us all day long. So mm. like anytime I need help, it's. To me, the ooh. big benefit for the, uh, the, the Patreon is the discord because, um, you know, there's so much useful chatting that goes on. There's, there's a lot of mutual support that goes on when you're sliding yeah. into the weekend and you're wondering if you're going to be able to get through it without, Without drinking, there's a whole support network, a support team, if you will, of semi-experienced alcoholics and drug addicts who are standing by standing to by. ease your transition from Friday night to Sunday morning. Yeah. Yeah. That's, we get a lot of that. Like when I'm going out, you know, when I had the booze cruise or if I'm going to something I'm uncomfortable with, you know, it's just nice to feel like I can just throw a line out and uh, someone will scream back at me. Yeah. Because when you know better, you do better. Do better. Yeah. And sometimes doing better depends on the tools that are available to you. Did you know that? I did not. <laughs> As two elderly men in recovery from alcohol <laughs> use disorder, we know how difficult it can be to seek help for a disease that's so stigmatized. If you're struggling to get sober, Soberlink can help. Soberlink's remote alcohol monitoring system was specifically designed to help in your recovery. And your recovery. And Mine. your recovery. Everybody. It's not just some breathalysis. Breathalyzer, breathalyzer that you buy at 7-Eleven. Do they sell breathalyzers at 7-Eleven? Because they really should. 
It's um, possible. I know they would sell them at like those cigar shops. The one that's, you know, oh, really? like the vape cigar guy. I think you can get breathalyzers there. Maybe I was in Seven Eleven. I had to go there early in the morning a couple of weeks ago to drive uh, Jack to his trip to Washington D.C. that he was going on with his high school. And the scene in there at like five, four thirty in the morning is really something. There was a, a bunch of holdovers from the night before that looked no, like no. they were on something that was stronger than uh, than beer. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of animated gesticulating and chit chat that was going on in there. And I it could have been Adderall, you know, after watching this documentary. Yeah. It, it could have been, but you know, my little spidey sense tells me that cocaine is probably the more likely culprit there. Yeah. Um, it, people are still doing cocaine. Huh. It's, it's an old classic, yeah. but people still do it. Anyway, we were talking about this breathalyzer that you can't buy in the store. It's small enough to fit in your pocket and discreet enough to use in public or in front of your kids. Um, Soberlink devices combine facial recognition, tamper detection, and real-time results so friends and family know instantly that you're sober and working towards your recovery goals. This system would have been a game changer for Nat and I during the early days of recovery when every yeah. bit of accountability helps. Yeah, man. Uh, I could have used that a lot. I don't have the copy in front of me, but... I know that um, I was always, even after I got sober for real, like there was a time I was pretending and trying to hide stuff. And then when I finally was doing the right thing, you know, my family and friends didn't believe me still. So I was constantly trying to prove myself. I don't know if any of you out there have gone through that, but if you had a sober link, you know, it'd be like, see, even though my wife would probably be like, you hacked it somehow. Um, yep. That would have really helped. So what's the... Um the older person's equivalent to standing outside the 7-Eleven and getting people to buy you beer. I don't know. Did you do that as a suburban lad? Because I certainly did. I think the yeah. older alcoholic version of that is standing outside the bar trying to get somebody else who's sober to blow into your interlock device so you can go home. <laughs> right? Oh, God, I've been there. Yeah. <laughs> hey, man, me, I'll give you 10 bucks if you blow into this thing. I need you to blow on something. Yeah, you're likely to get beat <laughs> Yeah, up. you got you to be careful how you phrase that. Like, I get 10 bucks if you blow this thing for me. <laughs> no, no, it's right um, in my car. It's in my car. Yeah. It's a, yeah just hop in the, hop in the passenger seat. <laughs> Uh, anyway, I mean, I couldn't, I honestly, I can't think of a better tool for tracking and sharing progress and rebuilding trust and relationships Me other either. than getting your greedy little alcoholic fingers on a sober link device that you can hook up to your car and share with your friends. Yeah. Um, make 2023 a memorable one. As I always say, it'll be memorable because you can remember it. You can actually remember it. Visit www.soberlink.com slash middle hyphen ages to sign up and receive $50 off your device that presumably costs more than $50. And Mike will middle hyphen your ages. Yeah. You know, no one's taken me up on that offer. (laughs) No one has middle hyphen graciously made on my behalf. Just uh, send an email to mikeartmiddleagesrecovery.com and he will get you. But yeah, we always talk about Grant's experience uh, when we talk about Soberlink. Uh, he's come on the show and talked about how much it helped him. Um, I think it could probably would have helped me. And uh, yeah, check it out. Middle yeah. hyphen ages. Should have those devices on every car, if you ask yeah. my opinion. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Anytime anybody gets in the car, you have to have 0.0. Yeah, why not? Mm, Should, not shouldn't, less, uh, shouldn't drunk driving be zero tolerance? 
I think so. And, you know, there's been a story in the uh, in the local news lately about the drunk driver who hit and killed those uh, 12-year-old tennis stars. I don't know if you saw that. Yes. I think they were 17, but yes. Yeah. Uh, they were, you know, local kids. And, um, yeah, some guy was going 100 miles an hour and just wiped him out. Yeah. And so that was he, just uh, the news. He, when he was arrested, they, he, th- he told the cops he thought he was in New Jersey. Yeah. Um, you know, I know... I know it's easy to mistake Long Island for New Jersey, although there's the Bruce Springsteen, Billy Joel thing that yeah, really yeah, makes yeah. them different. But, the uh, you know, stings. if you don't even know what state you're in after boozing it up all night at Toku, which is the uh, that's where he was. He was you know at that place. Yeah, it's yeah, in um, it. it's in I the Miracle by. Mile uh, over there where the ritzy stores are, you know. Mm. Like oh, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, over in Manhasset. And, yeah, the uh, Americana. Yeah, if I'm those families from Roslyn, I'm I'm hiring lawyers and I'm suing Toku for continuing to serve this guy when he was obviously obliterated. Oh, yeah. uh, there's some some pretty strict dram shop laws in New York. Um, you know, I, 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 as much as I try, I cannot dredge up an ounce of sympathy for this guy. You know. Yeah, it's it's hard. You know, it's hard. It, he did it. You know, I was talking to my wife about that last night. And we were saying the same thing, like, yeah, maybe he has a disease of alcoholism, but, you know, does it matter? No. I mean, he still, you know, did something horrific. And uh, it's because of his irresponsible uh, uh, behavior. So, you know, they're going to throw the book at this guy. Yeah, his, he had a bail hearing and they decided to keep him in. Yeah. You know, which is probably the most sober he's been in the last few years. You know, hopefully he gets some some treatment over there in prison, some, some involuntary treatment as, as we say. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I think that's exactly what will happen. Um, (laughs) Not that I'm making a joke about horrible things that happen in prison, but involuntary treatment can mean a couple of different things, right? Um, It's a a euphemism. Hey, do we have any reviews or anything? uh, No. Aha. That leads me to the next point. Please, everybody, go right now. Go to your app where you listen to Recovery in the Middle Ages. Write a review. Give us five stars, and we'll read it. Only the we, good ones, though. We will. We've had a bit of a falling off on the reviews. Is yeah, it, is, what's going on, have guys? Have maxed out on listeners? Is that it? No way. Are there no more? There's plenty out there. There's new monsters just waiting to be uh, met and uh, assimilated like the Borg. I'm just going to very quickly check to see if perhaps perhaps there are new reviews. I don't know. Um, hey, uh, everyone should also tell us their story. Go to middleagesrecovery.com. We have a Your Story form or uh, email us. I just got a comment on one of our posts and the guy's like, uh, do you need a speaker? And I was like, no, but, you know, write a story, you know, tell us your story and we'll read it. And he's like, oh, it's right. too long. I was like, okay. Yeah. So I mean, please. it's not to say that we would take on a guest, you know, here and there. Yeah. I mean, I got the sense we're not really doing the experience, strength and hope like um, speaker tapes type of thing. Um, and if you're in the rooms, you'll know what I'm talking about. It's just like, you know, we want helpful, interesting people who, um, you know, are making it happen. Like who's joining us today? Charlie. Charlie. Yeah. Charlie, one of our uh, one of our favorite longtime listeners, but he's also taking action. Uh, he was addicted to Kratom and he started a podcast and he's got a support group and it's a pretty interesting story. And we're going to hear from him. 
I love it when people who listen to us are inspired to go out and start their yeah. own podcast. I think that's an amazing, it's an amazing thing because yeah. as many uh, podcasts as there are in this milieu, there are, are never enough. And because people respond differently to different sorts of approaches, you know, and there's our approach and then there's the dopey approach and then there's yeah. the Annie Grace approach, uh, you know, and, you know, we did an episode on, uh, on Kratom, but we certainly don't really talk about Kratom all that much on no. the show. You know, so maybe there is a market with the in increasing number of people who apparently have a problem with Kratom for a podcast where people can get together and talk about it, you know? Yeah, and it's one of those things. It sounds like the Kratom users are sort of being, um, you know, ignored. You know, they don't, it doesn't necessarily get tr like tested for all the time in rehabs. I think they're, they started to when I was still in rehab. But um, I'm not going to be know, ignored, Nat. To be ignored. Nobody is paying attention fatal to attraction. the... Fatal Attraction. Oh, I don't remember that movie except yeah, the one I don't famous know. scene. Boomer references that I drop here and there. <laughs> drop so, your boomers. Um, <laughs> so, uh, this past week, not much happened. Um, well, I don't know. Uh, we had a bunch of performances and things. Uh and uh, I uh, I passed by your house after church on Sunday. And oh, yes. And we're going birding. And uh, we're, we're on going our way to, to a movie. Yes. So. You saw Spider-Man and I saw birds. Yeah. So I'm kind of jealous, but, you know, Spider-Man. How was the but movie? The movie was pretty cool. If you've seen the Spider-Verse, the original one, it's along those same lines. I thought it was overwrought and they tried to pack too much plot into like two hours um but it was cool stylish funny just kind of confusing mm. for an old man but yeah if one you like the first hero. one you'll, you'll like it super mirror uh, super mural. super superhero movies are rarely accused of having too much plot so that's an interesting critique yeah it's just they tried to do too much with this multiverse and multiple spider-men and women and robots and i don't know it was a bit much <laughs> okay yeah. So my wife had a uh, shower on, on Sunday. I mean, she showers every day, but this was oh, a, good. a bridal shower that she went to. It was her sister's. And, uh, you know, I was expecting like it would be some kind of a boozy affair. Uh, you know, fortunately, I was not involved in any way. But apparently they just had two bowls of punch, uh, one with alcohol in it, one without alcohol in it. And they served mimosas. Uh, as well, but I guess it was not a boozy affair, and I'm wondering if this is sort of a, uh, a harbinger of things to come, like people are now doing uh, bridal showers and whatnot, and they're getting away from the let's drink a bunch of wine and get shit-faced kind of thing, I, or or maybe this is an outlier. I don't well, know. Well, I think they're, one of the other things is I was talking to that the fireman that I've told you is a friend of ours who uh, – Basically, he didn't get sober, but he stopped drinking. And instead, he's smoking pot because they stopped testing for it at the, uh, uh, the New York Fire Department. But what he was saying, and I was talking to him on that booze cruise about it, and he's like, yeah, these days it used to be at the firehouse functions. Everybody would be inside at the bar drinking. And mm -hmm. now, he says, it's way less people at the bar and more of them outside smoking pot. Like, so <laughs> wow. people are, you know, so it could be that these parties they're just taking edibles and chilling out instead of drinking. Like we'll never know, <laughs> but just from that one anecdote, 
Yeah, hmm. interesting. I don't know how many of the bridesmaids were were stoned uh, and stuff the other day. Probably not too many, or maybe it's just not a big drinking crowd. But I find that fascinating because yeah. the fire department stopped testing for for weed. Is yeah, this is um, this is news been, to me. I mean, yeah, don't they drive those giant vehicles around the streets of New York with the lights and the sirens? And oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> must look pretty cool if you're stoned, but uh... well, that's that's the idea is that just like drinking, you're not supposed to do it on the job. So they're right. sort of trusting them as the adults that they pretend to like uh, feel about them as you know, like you guys can be responsible, but you know, these it's like anything when you smoke too much pot or smoke pot every day, it's in your system, you know, so you never really get quite uh, clear headed until um. Uh, until you've been off for a bit. Uh, that's one of the things in rehab when there was when there was guys who were addicted to pot, they had the hardest time getting to the next step in treatment because the THC wouldn't clear their uh, their urine analysis for like months and months. This one guy, six months he stayed on step one because you know, it wow. takes that long. You know, he must have been living inside months. of a blunt or something. Yeah, yeah pretty much. Smoke weed every day. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's kind of kind of crazy. I wonder if the cops are going to start stop testing for weed too soon. Um, it seems like everything is going in that direction. Like I feel like because now it's sort of accepted that everybody and his mother is at least taking an edible to go to sleep, or you know, it's kind of become it'd be like testing for melatonin or something. So many people will. <laughs> well, yes and no. I mean, you know. that's where I think it's headed. You know, they're not going to treat it. I mean, at the fire department, it's all the civil service jobs, I think he was telling me. So it's like the police department won't be testing for it. Um, mm. and I mean, stoned cops would probably be an improvement. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> yeah. Chilled out and like, oh, man, he's not going too fast. Yeah. You know? um, yeah okay, that's, that's kind of crazy. But the interesting, it's interesting to me because I've spoken to a number of people recently who have decided at long last to get sober from excessive alcohol consumption. Uh, some of them listen to the show. Some of them are people I've known for decades and yeah. to a man, they have all utilized um, cannabis in as part of their recovery process. Yeah, it's often the fall, I guess. Yeah. Maybe that's, maybe that's the way to look at it. Um, I think as a transition, you know, my personal opinion is it's fine. Um, but I say that as somebody you know, who never had a, uh, a problem with that substance, you know, right. um, you know, and we've gone over this ad nauseum on the show, but I, I just, I think it's interesting. And I wonder if there's going to be a lot of research done or maybe some programs coming out, you know, like similar to the Annie Grace program or something where weed is a part of a part of the recovery off ramp, you know? Um, well, they sort of do that with um, – there's programs like that. I think Joe Schrank started one. They call it like high sobriety. Oh, really? California sober. Oh, yeah. High sobriety is a real thing that's been around a few years where it's literally – that's what the program is. You come off uh, everything else onto, I think, pot. I don't – we should actually do that probably as a show. Like what do they I actually think we should. do? You know, it's really interesting. And uh, it's helping a lot of people, but I think the fear is that – you know, it's just another thing, but they do that with Suboxone and heroin. You know, do you maybe. graduate from high sobriety? Like, do you eventually tr transition off of the the cannabis? 
Probably, I don't know, but my guess is that you might graduate the program if they do that, or it may be an ongoing support network. And probably the idea is you're supposed to come off on your own. Are we looking at this all wrong, Nat? Are we looking think- at um, are we looking at abstinence as the as the marker of a successful recovery when it should not be? Yeah, because- are we just two old school drunks that? Yeah. believe that that is the only way or, yeah. you know, is there room, is there room in this paradigm for, um, for like moderation or something, you know, well, I, I always go back and yeah. forth on this because, you know, the further away I get from my last drink, of course, the mind will start playing tricks on you and you'll start thinking, well, shit, you know, I have such a firm foundation now that maybe yeah. a drink every once in a while wouldn't kill me. And, you know, it probably wouldn't kill me immediately. Um, but I also don't trust myself to, nor do I really want to expend the mental energy that it would take to keep it at one or two. Yeah. I would prefer to have none. But, you know, maybe there's people out there that are not 55 like me and don't want to stay in every night and would like to go out and socialize and go to bars and stuff um, and moderate. Is that yeah. possible? I mean, I, I don't even, I don't know. do it. I mean, I don't know. Do people do it? Do you know anybody that does it successfully? I don't. I mean, nobody can really know like what's really going on in each person's daily life and how it's affecting or enhancing, you know, what they're up to. It's just, I don't know. I feel like everybody is different and yeah, abstinence is really, really difficult. And that's why people fail at such a high rate if that's their only goal. So do you think it's difficult? Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was very difficult. Was, was. True. But now, um, it's not as difficult, but I do things like drink coffee. You know, I have a kratom shot, uh, whether or not that does anything in the morning, you know, and maybe because uh, I'm clearly not a strict uh, abstinence guy, but I don't know. Like, I think if you have underlying uh, mental health issues, you have to, you know, Prozac is a good idea for some people. And that can be viewed as not abstinence. That's the problem. I think the problem with talking about abstinence is it's a sliding scale because there are people who sugar is a really big problem. It's really in, in my life, sugar could kill me. You know, right. I had that, the syncope and the, and that was all sugar related. Um, I, you could think of that like a, an overdose, uh, so if I keep having sugar, am I not abstinent because this is something that is detrimental to my life that I can't stop doing? So that's what I think the problem with uh, thinking in terms of abstinence is because everybody has a different, you know, sliding scale of what's tolerable. Well, I also think we do tend to draw a weird arbitrary line between like, well, is it an arbitrary line between like prescription medication and and other medication? Because like we're going to talk about in this Adderall thing today, like, Adderall and amphetamine are the same chemical. Yeah. You know, and one of them comes with the imprimatur of a prescription and the other one comes uh, on on a light bulb that you heat up with a cigarette lighter. Right. Yeah. Is what's the difference? And that's what Carl Hart is actually in the documentary. That's one of the points he makes. Like he's the one that points out, you know, that these things are very close um, in chemical compound, if not the same. And yet, when we talk about methamphetamine, you know, we have these images about, you know, like, you know, the rural areas and poor people and the dirty, you know, cooking in it. But on the other hand, when you're talking about Adderall, 
which is essentially the same thing, is treated very differently in our you know, social awareness. It's students trying to do better or it's airline pilots trying to stay focused. We're not thinking of it as in the same moral terms. Yeah. Yep. Uh, even though it is the same thing. So Carl Hart would say that this is absurd and it's hypocritical. Uh, and I would say, well, it's kind of, you know, more, uh, it's, it's kind of an accurate you know, depiction of how these things are used. Uh, how we feel about it is, you know, up to each person, whether you have some moral judgment. You know, so it's really interesting. The thing about abstinence that I always find uh, interesting is that, you know, and the people that say, well, it's too hard and all this stuff, like, you know, what is rehab usually? It's like 30 days. Yeah, um, 28 if and, you're and, lucky. And what are all these, um, you know, dry January and sober October? They're all 30 days long. And 30 days is not enough time to, to rewire your brain. No, you know? no. Um, and I, so I found this post on Reddit that I put up in our Facebook group. And I just want to read like a sentence or two out of that, because I, I, to me, this sort of made me understand a little bit more about what you need to do to, to sort of internalize the idea that maybe abstinence is the, is the, is the way to go, you know, for most mm-hmm. people. Um, so, so it goes like this. If you're new to sobriety, it's important for you to understand that your head is temporarily fucked. It's not a big deal. It happens to all of us and it will get better, but you need to be patient. If your clean streak is plagued by endless false starts, you may feel a little hopeless right now. You may find yourself wondering, how can anyone pull this whole sober thing off? You might feel like it's a constant race to the relapse. That's a normal feeling, and you need to understand that alcoholism has made you into an impatient person. Um, You do not know what will happen if you continue to abstain past that boundary that you never cross. It might feel like there's a natural sequence of events that play out where you get a little time and then throw it away repeatedly. It might feel like alcoholic behavior is the perfectly shaped hole to put yourself in. And that's because your nervous system is trying to reward your impatience with alcohol. Once you dry out, you need to wait. The waiting for things to improve feels impossible because you're hardwired to be impatient. And then it goes on to say that during that waiting period, don't place any big expectations on yourself. Don't make any big strides in your career and so on. But, um, the first few weeks can be boring or torturous, but it's absolutely necessary to endure it. If you ever hope to get yourself clean, you will eventually have to deal with this period of boredom and frustration, and it's easier in the long run to do it now. If you've ever right. gone to the DMV, you know how to do this. You dread it, but you leave with a new license, and every time your life is better for having gone through with it. Yeah, that's a good analogy. Yeah. That resonated with me because, you know, a million times I said to myself, uh, okay, Monday I'm quitting. And I quit on Monday, and then by the time Friday rolled around, I'd be back to it because I never pushed beyond yeah, the period of uncomfortability in, in society. And this kind of ties into the Adderall thing too, because we have this thing that we always have to be comfortable and productive and all this stuff. And and sometimes you just need to say, "Fuck that! I need to push through. I need to sit with this feeling of being uncomfortable, and I have to get through it. And once I get through it, on the other side." There'll be rewards, but we live in such an instant gratification society. It's very difficult to do. It's a real problem. And I'm noticing it um, with my kids, you know, Noah, especially because he's doing all of these artsy and musicy things. Like he wants to learn how to play the drums. He wants to learn how to play the guitar. He wants to do this and he wants instant expertise. He wants instant mastery. And so when I'm able to get him to see how, like with the drums, it's worked out great because the first week he barely was just hitting, you know, learning how to hit a pad. 
And he, I told him to be patient, you know, you'll work on the other stuff. And he did, and he saw that he got better. And so that's an, like a really important experience for a kid, you know, sure. to see how you can get, it doesn't have to be instant. And most of the time it isn't. But I think maybe we need to rejigger our expectations and the way we approach trying to get people in recovery in this era of where our attention span is shorter than that of a goldfish, because you have to talk people through the fact that it's going to suck, but it will eventually get better, you know, and you have to kind of give them a long-term view like that. Sometimes yeah, I think why... it's, it's a little too much Zen. It's a little too much. Don't drink today for the next hour, for the next five minutes, you know, to give people some kind of hope, I think you got to give them a little bit of future vision and what it could be like, what it will be like if you if you stick to it. Yeah, and I think that's part of what they do with speakers. Hey, hey look who it uh, is, Charlie. <laughs> hey, gentlemen. Thank, thank, thank God you've arrived. It'll you save just, me and Matt uh, from having to tap dance for another running for of, another fifteen minutes. I mean, shit, we were just spinning. Spinning content out of nothing today. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. I mean, yeah, I would. Yeah. Well. well, welcome. Welcome to RMA. Welcome to our Meet a Monster segment. You gotta meet that monster. Yes, indeed. All right. Yeah, we'll work on it. We'll work wow, on it. that's a cool microphone. Yes, uh, it, it was purchased for a teenager for gaming, but it, it was only for... Uh, PCs and it didn't work with their gaming system and and now I've repurposed it for this kind of stuff. <laughs> well, yeah, I have mic envy. I have to say, mine I mean, is very boring and this part is screwed up for some reason. So for those of you nice that mic. don't have the ability to see over the radio, it's um, it's like glowing red. It's like a big red microphone, which is great. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on. It's great to have you. Um, we're doing this segment because, you know, we figured we really don't do a ton of these interview kind of things with people. And um, I'm endlessly fascinated by the folks that found their way to the show and how they found their way to the show and what their stories are, you know. And so a couple of weeks ago, we decided that we were just going to throw it out there and see if anybody, you know, mostly from the Discord or uh, wanted to come on and talk a little bit about themselves, a little bit about their story, their history what they're up to, what their recovery look like, that kind of thing. Social security number, address. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so yeah. So why don't we get started? What, uh, what, where did you first encounter recovery in the middle ages? A dark alley of recovery. Yeah. Well, I like to say that, um, the dopey podcast helped me get sober and RMA is helping me stay sober. Um, oh, that's cool. You know, I, like many people, I came across Dave um, through This American Life. Um, mm -hmm. And at the time, I was drinking. And the first year I listened to it, I on Friday nights, I would <laughs> still be drinking, you know, which is great about Dopey because it meets people where they're at. You know, it's kind of like... Uh, 100%, yeah. Uh, yeah. And and he's never preachy. And, it, and, and then, you know, I, I got really... You know, it's really the story about his co-host dying. And then... And then he just kept on and you could see that he was growing. Um, and yeah, so slowly, um, uh, I tried quitting, you know, that was like March, 2019. I tried quitting that first year, but 
Uh, my last time I drank was actually uh, Friday, March 13th, 2020, the beginning of the pandemic, when many people started <laughs> increased their drinking. You rebel. Yeah, that's a miracle. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. That's a hell a of a time to stop. But. Yeah. Um, I'll have to admit that I didn't know that booze was deliverable. <laughs> and so I, I did have some fear about leaving the house, but I, I, I had a really strong um, motivation to quit. But I mean, I've been real quickly, I've been doing this recovery stuff for many years. Um, I, I first got sober when I was 26. I went to a residential treatment center for six months. And uh, that was the only way I could at the time get sober, you know, and so it, you know, there was a lot of consequences. It took me what, what was it? Six years to complete college, four years to complete grad school. And it was in the middle of grad school. I finally went to residential treatment, you know, a lot of broken relationships. I mm. should have five drunk driving, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, oh, did you get away with it? Five? You have zero. I have one, but one ah, time the ambulance you. got there before uh, the cops. One time the cops had a shooting and the guy said, that's your, this is your luckiest day of your life. Yeah. And then one time the car was uh, stalled. Another time it was stuck in a snow bank. Though I think nowadays the laws are different, you know, if if you're around the car and you're drunk. But anyway, so I have been sober 20 of the last 27 years. um, And I've had three relapses. And so, I mean, I guess one lesson of my journey is um, that, you know, I I mean, I, I didn't drink all my 30s. And there was a 15 year period where I only drank, I relapsed in the middle of that 15 years and I drank like on three, one weeks, you know? So I really thought I was just done with it. Like it was over with. And, um, you know, in my thirties, I did all the good stuff. I bought a house, got married, had kids, started a business, started teaching at a part-time at a university, but I just, yeah. And then this last relapse, um, in 2016, I, I finally, where I was a binge drinker before I, I started drinking a couple fifths a day, like a classic. Like wake mm. up in the morning. Yeah. I was doing that too. Through the night. Like the first thing. Yep. So, um, yeah. So, um, and, and you know, part of my relapse, I, you know, I did go to, I found AA to be very helpful. There's some downsides to it. Um, but this last relapse, I really got resentful that I had to start over. I was mad at myself. You know, yeah. and, really- and then I just got totally addicted and dependent and, uh, um, you know, and anyway, but thanks to um, a couple podcasts and, um, and, and you know, and I, I uh, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm not living that life anymore. A lot, a lot of, a lot, my life's a lot better. That, that's a miracle. And I remember for me too, during the pandemic, like before, I don't know, a few years ago, podcasts had no, you know, relevance in my life whatsoever. And I'm not sure at what point I started to listen. Um, but I think it was during the pandemic or slightly before looking for help. Like I wasn't getting what I wanted out of the outpatient treatments, out of the AA meetings. I needed more. I decided I've got to do my own research. I have to plug in. And then, yeah, I started listening to Recovery Elevator, Dopey, and I would do it every day. And it was like, this is keeping my head where it should be. And the fact that there was like a community for, you know, some of the podcasts was huge. So it's like something that came out of this pandemic, I think. Um, it's not all because of the pandemic, but it's been a huge help to a lot of us. And so it's cool to hear that. Yeah. 
So, Charlie, you um, you like the Grateful Dead, yes? <laughs> I do. I, I'm a warf rat. <laughs> I, 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 for, when I first started following you, I, I had the moniker Wharf Dad. Yes. That's right. Okay. Um, so did you go, you saw some shows like in the eighties and early nineties when Jerry was still around? Yeah. My first show, show was, uh, in 90. So I got to see Brent, um, a couple times, um, that spring, that summer, tour? summer. Yeah. So, yeah. um, were you, were you sober at that time at all? Uh, I went to a couple, you know, I get sober for like 90 days, um, at a time, like one time, <laughs> uh like 30 years ago the first time i got sober um uh i wrote this thing i wrote the the, the lyrics of the wharf rat song on a piece of paper in my sobriety date and then somehow like <laughs> about 100 days i drank it <laughs> but um no yeah um um not, not really i didn't really get sober until 20 uh 96 so a year after um jerry died it's funny. I had a I had a brief period in the early '90s, a couple of years where I was sober, like '94, and I had skipped a year or two of shows. And I went back in '94 to a giant stadium show that summer, and I'm like, "Man, this sucks!" Like, is is the dead were they this bad? Like, and I was just so fucked up. It just sounded really good to me. And I went home, and I was all disappointed. And then I realized that. <laughs> in subsequent years that really 94 was not the best time to be jumping back onto the dead bus because Jerry was, was certainly struggling with his own issues in the summer of 94, you know, in that giant stadium show, he just kept repeating the opening um, lick to Wharf Rat, which was ironic <laughs> over and wow. over and over. And it, and I was like, like, is the record stuck? Like, is there something, what's wrong with Garcia, you know? And, and that kind of, Interesting that it was on that song that he sort of got hung up on. Um, yeah, I, I know that song. There's some discussion on the internet of, among war frats and deadheads about that particular show and and that particular the irony or the sadness yeah. about that song. Yeah, yeah. It was um, I, the age I was back then. I would have found it impossible to continue to go to shows and not be using something. I mean, I, I was just too young. I didn't have the, I didn't have the ability to stop. I don't think, and, and expose myself to those shows, but you know, fast forward where we are now, you go to a lot of shows now, right? You go like Wolf brothers and dead and company and that kind of thing. And do you find it to be a, a struggle when you're at the show? Because I go it's to shows and I'm kind of like, I'm fine now. Like I, yeah. you know, Nat and I, we go to yes concerts. We go to Shirley temples. We're okay. <laughs> Those are big drinking environments. But the dead's a yes, different. Sure. It's a different animal. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, a couple of years I had tickets for a local show, and I just, I just wasn't in the mood. Um, I, I think it was early. I think it was twenty one. So it was early, right after the pandemic, and I just, you know, I decided. So that's a real adult decision, a sober thing. It wasn't so much the. I didn't want the crowd, and and mm. you know, I'm not going to complain about the dead, their current configuration <laughs> in their tempo or anything. But yeah, this year I went. Um, I went down to Atlanta and saw the orchestra sh shows, which were really fun—a different way to hear them in, in Atlanta. They had a full like orchestra and playing their classic songs with the Wolf Brothers. And then I saw them at my local show here in town. And then I'm splurging. I'm going to see them at the Gorge um, next month, which is um, you know kind of like a destination. Mm -hmm. Oh, that would be cool. Yeah, you know, it's a it's not quite Red Rocks, but um, 
and it's, this is their last tour and I've been listening a little bit and it's, they've been playing well, but, um, I, yeah, it hasn't been triggering. Like, yeah, I, I'm just, um, well, I would imagine it would be just as hard as like when I, I go on an all inclusive trip with my family or something and, you know, it's just, it's everywhere. It's not just everywhere. It's part of the deal. Like it's part of the brand. It's part of the experience. Oh, yes. So like, how do you separate yourself from that and still enjoy it when it's I'm, there, everywhere? There are still young people that are kind of getting wasted and you wonder, you know, how much they're listening to the music. Um, yeah. But um, <laughs> I mean, and I was the same way. I mean, I was just talking to somebody like 30 years ago, I was at a Richfield show um in ohio and um i had uh, tickets to go in and i was with like these three really smart women and uh somehow i blacked out and i wasn't able to get in to see this concert this grateful dead concert because i was in a blackout you know like what kind of drunk goes to a dead show you know and blacks out and i, I when i came well, to me them, i've done that <laughs> all of them <laughs> Every and, and when I came to, I was like, oh, I was barefoot and they wouldn't let me in because I was and um, it was a long ride home. And those three women were not impressed with me. So. <laughs> so anyway, but um, I, I, you know, um, I, to be honest with you, in the end, I was drinking by myself. I was drinking at home, isolating and, you know, now actually getting out of the house is more about like just social anxiety. And, you know, so, mm -hmm. you know, you do think. Oh, a beer might, you know, um, lubricate things, you know, but, um, you know, I might get a six pack of Heineken zero, you know, that mm. weekend when I'm in Washington and I'll have it at, you know, I got an Airbnb and, you know, that'll be the hardest stuff. Maybe, maybe I'll a couple of kombuchas. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. um, that's not the, my, my thing is when I get, let myself get really depressed and I become a hermit at home cut off all the podcasts, don't go to any meetings, isolating, fire yeah. my therapist, you know, and, um, you know, um, yeah. Or get hooked on other kinds of stuff. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I, and that's, that's interesting because, you know, you can, social media is a big, is a big way that you can, I mean, you get the, all the little dopamine fire spikes from social media, the same yeah. way you do from, you know, other things. And maybe it's not, not quite as, as strong, but it's definitely, uh, I can see it feeding my addictive qualities sometimes, you know, I'm just sitting there for hours, like zipping through uh, Instagram and oh, checking yeah. discord every five minutes. And, you know, and I remember early on, you were, you were pretty active in the discord early on. And then you mm -hmm. took like a, you took a hiatus. Oh, uh, you went yeah. on hiatus for a little while. That was really interesting. Yeah, yeah. I did. I yeah. totally got addicted and I'm back to that state where I'm on my phone all the time and I cannot find a balance, you know, I've installed blockers on my phone, um, which, you know, in these block, these apps, like I can't uninstall them. I haven't figured out how to do them on the browsers on my laptop though. So I, you know, like it's not on my phone, but then I just go to my browsers and then there's like four browsers on my computer, you know? <laughs> so yeah, it's like self binding. Remember we used to talk about, we had huh. that in a couple of shows, like, Self-binding, keeping yourself from doing the thing you're trying to quit. Yeah. You know, like you get a, you you get a get lock to box if you want. Yeah. and you, you, there's these plexiglass lock boxes. You could put your phone in it and set the timer for like an hour and a half. And there's no way to get in there to get your phone. You know? Yeah. It's stuff God, like it gives that. me anxiety. Yeah. I mean, just thinking about so it. I mean, <laughs> like any addiction is it, 
like you have to find in the internal resources and capacity. And I haven't had a chance to read dopamine nation. And there's a couple other books on, um, stolen focus. Um, yeah. but that is a, uh, it's continues to be a struggle. So, um, I wonder what the addiction experience is like for, for people who were digital, who are net or digital natives and raised in that environment huh. versus folks like us who, you know, started where in a, in a very analog world, and then had to transition into into digital. You know, I wonder if there's a, something to be said for a, a difference of an, an approach to how you treat digital yeah. natives with addictive behavior versus you know yeah. us old school analog folks. But because it's so part of the way that they function. You know, I watch. I'm, we all watch our kids and how they're just they're in it. It's almost part of them. You can almost say that you know we're like integrating cyborgs. AI. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like. Um, yeah, we're, we're combining with this technology and you can see it in the kids. So how, how can you then separate it if it's part of the way they function every single day normally? Yeah. And it's in everything. Yes, it is. Yeah, it is amazing. I, I mean, I got my first iPhone in 2008. So that's only 15 years, you know. Right. So I was 38 then. So yeah, 38 years of my life. Yeah. And then, but in the last 10 to five years, and I, I had a flip phone. That was a solution, like an old-fashioned granny phone oh, or yeah. grandpa phone. Mm-hmm. The jitterbug. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> the problem was all my kids, there was apps that I had to be on um, a smartphone. It, it's horrible for mobile. You need it for mobile banking. You need it for um, yeah. to for maps, If you know, if your car and for you know, like an Uber. So, you know, like a couple of years ago, I got rid of it finally and um, – you know, my kids were pleased because they were annoyed because I was always using their phone for stuff. And then, yeah, right. And then another like, period, let me bum his cigarette. Yeah. Another period of time, I had a work phone that was smart. So I had in, and I'd leave it at the office. And then I'd have a personal phone that was just a flip phone. And that there was some balance with that. Um, you know, I don't have an office anymore, so I can't leave my smartphone at the office. So yeah, I've been thinking and struggling with the digital addiction. For, <laughs> Eight years. How, how do you think that ties into, you know, the alcohol issues, if at all? You know, I mean, Nat and I talk a lot about addiction whack-a-mole here on on the podcast. Like when you're, you may not be drinking, but maybe you're compulsive about something else. You know, and and does that mean that there's something underlying all that stuff that needs to be addressed? Yeah, I think there's some truth. There's some transfer. I mean, obviously, the harm caused by the digital addiction. I mean, there's no arrests you know, but there's the quality of your life really starts to and suffer and your relation, you know, if you're not engaged with the people around you, cause you're not paying attention, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, um, so yeah. Uh, yeah, you yeah. don't connect with the, I noticed that too, when, you know, my family were sitting in the den trying to, I'm like, let's watch something together, you know, let's, let's be together. But everybody, including myself, inevitably, I'm checking, you know, numbers on the phone or checking work, you know, Noah's doing whatever on TikTok. And my wife is uh, too with the, with the Facebook and all of that. So I feel like, yeah, it's a trap, just like the boiled, the proverbial boiling frog, you know, it's been creeping up and then all of a sudden we're not connecting. And that, that makes me nervous too. Yeah. So what part of the country are you uh, located in, Charlie? I'm in a Great Lakes state. Um <laughs> Um, so, and, uh, I got some good news from your boating, boating story last week. 
Uh, my boat has been in the driveway, um, even though I decommit or commissioned it. You know, in the boating community, you don't call it de-winterize. <laughs> you commission your boat. And it, but anyway, the prop has been stuck down. So the, the boat guy is coming tomorrow. And um, yay. <laughs> so, yeah. So um, I, it's been a pretty bizarre spring here. Just kind of a little on the chilly side with a lot of yeah, wind. It's like so fall. I've kept the I've gone out once and uh, it was a relatively uneventful uh, launch and retrieval <laughs> relatively. I still needed a little help with my winch, uh, down at the, down at the dock. But and that is not a euphemism. Older Italian man was gracious enough <laughs> to give me a hand without rubbing it in my face too much. Yeah. Uh, rubbing his winch in your face. <laughs> it was my winch and his mm. face, but that's, that's, a, um, yeah, I don't know the boat. Yeah, the weather here has been same. So last Memorial Day weekend was the first weekend where I had some I had time and the weather, you know, and I, I, I was pining away to get on the boat. Anyway, high class problems to have. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I prefer these problems to the other ones, um, yes. you know, rather than not being able to find a nickel in the couch when I'm out of crack. That was <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, well, there's a simple solution. Don't run out of crack. Like, oh, yes. Yeah. I'm, easier I'm, said than easier said than done. That <laughs> yeah, you never run out. Uh, so, what do you do for uh, what do you do for work, Charlie? I work in the nonprofit sector um, as a consultant. I do grant writing. Um, so oh, I've been doing, interesting. Yeah, I've I, I've been uh, doing it almost twenty five years, and I wow. freelance almost twenty in my business twenty uh, independent. And then I teach that subject at a local university. So oh, interesting. Um, so, yeah. So you did those things during periods of sobriety and while you were drinking? Yes. Yes. I was How is it writing stories? grants when you're drinking a couple of fifths a day? Yeah. <laughs> it must I was going to say, must be what a did challenge. those look like? Yeah. <laughs> my, my income went down by half, you know. Oh, wow. And um, it, so it wasn't great. Um, uh, and uh, so... <laughs> And eventually, uh, I lost my, at two years sober, I lost my biggest client that I had for 20 years. And it wasn't just um, the drinking, we outgrew each other, you know, one person, you know, doing the work contractually outsourced, it, the work was too big, you know, when I worked for them, originally, they were like, a $2 million organization, I was helpful in growing them to like 15 million. Um, um, but um so but in the long run because i was sober i was able to now i replace that client with three or four new clients so i just have you know the good news is i have 10 part-time jobs um right. and i could get fired Customers. from any of one of them at one time but none of them will fire you all at the same time so it, right. it's a little bit more stability but it, it is it's a lot of uh time management and deadline yeah. And I have some attention deficit disorder. So if it wasn't for the deadlines of grants, I would never get, yeah. any, I would never get any work done. Yeah. That always pushed me. You yeah. Know, the deadline night before, you know, I'm a yeah. perpetual, oh God. Yeah. And I can't work like that guys. I don't know. <laughs> it's just, I got a different brain structure than yeah. y'all. I need to, I need to have a, have a plan. <laughs> I can't, I, the deadline thing, but I, I mean, it must be, it must be a lot easier to manage a business, uh, when you're sober, right? I mean, I guess that goes without saying. <laughs> Definitely. It's small detail, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
you know, I, 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 now I'm just kind of experiencing some burnout on doing the same thing over and over again. And I'm not feeling as much passion for Pat, you know, um, but anytime I explore like just career options, nothing else would, um, uh, pay as much or give me as much freedom. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, I, I have a social work degree, so I, you know, I, at one point, um, actually when I was, before I relapsed, I thought about becoming a therapist, um, when I was like at the 15 year mark, um, and, uh, I explored that, you know, I just have to go get a license and an intern, mm-hmm. but it would require like a two year internship. Right. Yeah. Where I, I did the same thing and I'm like, I can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> like 500 clinical hours. Yes. Yeah. Something so, like that. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, and I, and, you know, I could create a nonprofit, but then it just, you're just spending all your time fundraising and, and, yeah. you know, hand them out. So, you know, at my coming up at, you know, towards my mid fifties, you know, and unfortunately being independent, I don't have the, and because I relapsed and, and drank, I don't have the greatest retirement plan. So, right. um, I, about I might be working until my seventies. So, one of my plans is to be a sort of a digital nomad. Um, once my kids are out of the house, um, the boat, it, you know, might spend some summers on the boat. You know, I'm going to have to keep working, you know, maybe get an RV and um, just domestically mostly. And, you know, while I'm working, at least travel a little bit while I'm rel- my my body allows me to still hike and stuff, you know. <laughs> Oh, that sounds like fun, though. I mean, a lot of people are working. My parents, they're still working and they're, they're turning 80. I don't know. The idea of retirement to, to me seems so yeah. impossible, far off and like a thing of the past, you know. And I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. Like maybe we, we're not meant to just like my grandfather would w- put a suit on every morning and watch Madlock no, I, <laughs> every single I day. I, uh, yeah. I'm looking forward to not working at some point. I don't, I don't want to work until I die. We'll have time to rock and roll and work on more podcast stuff. And Bird pictures, it. man. Just yeah. set me loose with the camera. Yeah. If I could somehow figure out a way to make money off that, it would be great. I, I mean, retirement uh, for me would be having like two or three grant writing clients instead of 10 and and still maybe teaching my class if um, yeah. except they keep getting younger and I keep getting older. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You're, uh, you have more experience. Yes. Right? You're, you're, you're sharing that. So let's shift gears a minute yes. uh, because let's talk about Kratom um, because we sort of teased it uh, in the opening to the show that, you know, you are um, imparting some wisdom about Kratom to the larger population through a new podcast. Is that right? That, that is my attempt. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, you guys have covered it, and I was thinking back. You had a special on. I um, was it Bianca? Yeah, yeah. Bianca and Jeff and Jeff. Yeah, our story. Yeah, and um, I mean, I, I I was using like kratom like once a month then, and I that was my first seed. Like I, I had it hadn't got the hooks in me at the time, but um, yeah, about six months ago, I took like a my first time. I took a like a extract shot which is like many multitudes higher concentration than um you know like powder or the tea that people some people drink and i did i really got addicted to it and i had a lot of trouble quitting um and it just kind of snuck up on me and you know you 
when when you uh, get a higher dosage, you experience withdrawals that are similar to opiates, you know. And then so you're you have this compulsion to take more to like fend off the withdrawals, you know. And then anyway, I went online and I tried to get help, and I found that um, there you know there's a subreddit. <laughs> Yeah, mm-hmm. there isn't much out there. Yeah, yeah, and a couple um, uh, uh, private Facebook groups, and, I, and at the time I wasn't on Facebook, so yeah, it was, it was I was left to the subreddit, and the subreddit wasn't helping me quit. I mean, I posted some things on the Discord and you with you guys, but I just really couldn't quit. And it, actually, again, I have Dopey to um, he did a couple shows where he talked about kratom, and he was reading emails with people that were struggling with it, and. Um, you know, the dopey sphere, they have like three zoom meetings a day, 21 a week. Oh, and yeah. they, we made one of them just like, let's talk about Kratom, you know, and there was like, like five or six of us, um, shout outs to like, there's Misha and Jen and Noel and Logan. It was just, it was, just, it was really cool to finally talk to other people. Uh, and, uh, that was when I finally was able to quit and um yeah and it was hard i couldn't like go to my i went to my aa meeting and they're like what's kratom you know yeah they don't know <laughs> and had you, had you had um had you ever had issues with opiates in the past i could i um i don't have any street smart so i, I mean every time i've ever gotten a vicodin or tylenol three i haven't like took them like as prescribed and i'd eat them quickly you know like double the prescription but i've never done like um robbed a pharmacy or tried to go on the street. But I, so, so that's a that's safe the litmus su- test right there. If you've tried to yeah. rob a pharmacy, then you, then you have an, yeah. you have well, that's a safe <laughs> supply. Like if you legalized opiates, I mean, I might be at high risk to, um, yeah. to like go to the local, um, but it does, it does, it's not the Kratom doesn't, it, it kisses the, the opiate receptors in your brain. It's not is, um, Right. It's not an opiate receptor. They say it binds to, I think, mitragynine binds to one of the opiate receptors. It's something like that. So if you're like, how much, like, when did it turn from just doing a shot or something a day to then you started with the powder? Because like, how did that start to escalate? um, I mean, ironically, I mean, the first time I had Kratom, I was like going to the liquor store and I was having a hangover and the guy at the liquor store said, oh, this is a cure for a hangover. And when I took those were just like the 0.5 um, milligram um, or those pills. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I couldn't, I didn't feel anything. I only did it a couple of times and I didn't want to like swallow 20 of them. So I, I just thought it wasn't anything. Um, and then about two years ago, um, I had a really bad headache and they, and the dentist and I, not a headache, um, uh, toothache. And the dentist gave me like a 20 script, and I had to, the swelling had to go down, but in the, the 20 script wasn't um, going to last for the pain for it, you know, and it was a script for what? For- uh, uh, it was like Tylenol three. So I, okay. I started taking oh, oh, some, oh. I started taking some, uh, the, the, um, the Kratom um, to like in between. And, and, and this time it was like a Kratom extract pill and I could feel the extract pill, you know, and uh, that was about exactly two years ago. And then just after that, I had the surgery. Um, I would start to do it like once a month and I, there was no consequences. I just had this great uplift, no hangover. I would, you know, work on a project around the house or I knock out a, uh, something, a grant 
and I'd always have good dreams and I'd feel good yeah. into the next day. But slowly, so it was like a stimulant. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And over time, though, you get a tolerance, and so you take a little bit more, and then. I found myself wanting, oh, I want to feel like this more often. So I would then take it once a week. And then when you take it, any substance more, your tolerance grows and then you get become more dependent. And then eventually I started doing it a couple times a week. And the amount that I was taking um, wasn't really doing it. So I went up a little bit higher and that made me, you know, the Kratom has some plant matter in it. So there's only, there's a ceiling to how much you can take. And these were the capsules and I started throwing up every time. And so I'm like, yeah, you can't overdose. You just puke. You just get nauseous. So the guy at the vape shot said, Oh, try these shots. And that was, you know, (laughs) that was the end. Uh, That was like, uh, that was last, last fall. And I just slowly went from one shot a day to two shots a day. And the beginning of this year, I got up to six, six a day. I that's expensive. Yeah. How much does that cost? It's a hundred dollars a day. I looked at my bank account. Oof. Yeah. This year I spent twenty seven hundred in wow. ten weeks. Last year I spent twenty four hundred over twelve months. Mm. And the year before it was like five or six hundred. <laughs> so wow. it just it slowly see that chart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the new yeah. horizon on that one. So, so you can buy this you can buy this stuff anywhere, right? I mean, it's not regulated in any way. Um, I think some states it is. Yeah, it's it's banned in like five or six states, and it's very mm. higher, co- highly controversial. Like seven or eight years ago, um, the DEA and the FDA were going to schedule it, mm. and the cra- yeah. the pro there's a a big pro kratom community that yes. that are very uh, are true believers, and so they fought back, and it didn't get scheduled. I personally don't think it should be banned, but I do think it should be maybe regulated like weed, you know, maybe sold out of dispensaries or because there is, you know, right now they're self-regulating it. You know, there are news events where people, you know, people sell this stuff out of their garage and put it in Ziploc bags. Yeah. Who knows right, what's in it or. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it could be another avenue for fentanyl. Yeah. And in, in the, the, I mean, I could not believe I was in New York City a couple months ago and I was walking by down Broadway and there was outside of a gym, there was a sign and had a couple people look like they just finished a workout and it was an advertisement for Kratom as a recovery from exercise. Yes. Like, yes. What the fuck is it's that? A, it's a pre-workout. And I, <laughs> yeah, um, I, seen that. I ran four or five, five K's in the fall and I started um, going to the gym four or five days and being 53, I was aching. So it wasn't just that I, I started using I was like, okay, I'm going to do a Kratom shot before I go see my this, my personal trainer, who I call a personal torturer, PT. <laughs> like, you know, and it, it, I could get through the workout. I had more energy, but that, you know, and then I, I did a couple of the runs without it, and then I did the Kratom during the run. It felt so great, but then I, at the end, I just was – I had a habit, you know. <laughs> so right. – and, and, and I believe some people take it, and um, maybe one of the hosts here – and they don't have, um, they don't get it. You know, it, I think everybody's physiology is different. And mm-hmm. so that's one of the big problems. Some people take it and they, they have no cravings. They don't get a tolerance. They don't, and they don't, and so they believe nobody can, cause that's the big, I mean, the lot, I can understand the Kratom lobby's position is that it's not addictive or it's no more addic- addictive than nutmeg because <laughs> it's just a food. But, right. um, 
anyway, it's highly, so you, you can't talk about anything negative in social media about Kratom or you'll kind of get mob justice from the um, pro Kratom people. So yeah, it's so short sighted too, because, and I always say like, I feel totally unqualified to comment on Kratom because I've been using Kratom pretty much every morning for the, since I think the pandemic. Um, and, but for whatever reason, maybe because I'm hyper conscious of, you know, being an addict or something like yeah. that, that I try and for somehow I've just kept it, you know, the once a day. And I don't know when I, when I go without it, I, I don't have a withdrawal. So maybe I, I'm lucky on this one, but it still makes me very nervous because I'm very cognizant of what's my next fall going to be or what am I going to ruin my life with next? So now I'm hyper aware of it. So it's probably good that this is all coming out. And that's why I'm not, you know, like speak the truth about Kratom and you just, you know, it's wonderful. I mean, it helped, but I don't want to get stuck, you know, down a slippery slope. And yeah. you're seeing all those people that you meet with on Zooms and talk on your show, like they're all having the same horrible experience you had, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that makes me very nervous about it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, one of the tensions with like a person where a Kratom works, you know, I mean, Kratom folks would like to normalize Kratom usage and kind of be like um, coffee. And I'm not against that, but, you know, but when somebody like somebody like me and the people I talk to on the podcast or, you know, we're, we're relegated, relegated to talking anonymously on a subreddit or in these private Facebook groups because it's the only safe place. I mean, we're not trying to project shame that Kratom is bad and we're not Kratom haters, but our experience is real, you know? And I mean, I, I just talked to the, 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 the rehab place I went to um, uh, in 96, the clinical director, um, who's my age, and I asked him, like, have you heard of Kratom? And he said, yeah, we, we got people at the, our rehab all the time needing to detox off of it. And my best friend just got hooked on it and he thought he was going crazy. He didn't realize it with withdrawals, you know? So, I mean, I, I think it's harmful marketing saying it's non-addictive, you know? Yeah, just like opiates. Like uh, um, we did that whole show about um, Purdue and their warning label says it wasn't addictive. So Yeah, um, but um, anyway, um, yeah, so it has been really um, gratifying talking to, you know, just like any addiction, when you interact with other people that have the same experience with you as you, it's validating, it reinforces, you know, because there's this, a lot of us feel like we're gaslit, like, you know, it's not addictive, you know, and uh, it's you, you're a defective person. You know, right. if you, if yeah. you were just, if you just, and, and they'll say, well, if you just moderate, then it's not addictive. Huh. That's the whole definition of addiction is just that, that you can't, you know, um, you do it against your will, despite negative. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that sounds familiar, right? There's any, yeah. any number of substances where you're, you are blamed despite the fact that the substance is the, uh, by nature, addictive in a chemical way. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, and booze is the worst, you know, you know, and, and you guys talked about that last week on this naked mind, all the marketing of, you know, um, so anyway, um, seems like there's like big Kratom though. Like if, if, if there's a way to, to position this as some sort of a sports recovery or, or something, then you, all of a sudden you have people with, with money who have a vested interest in pushing this on people 
And then you have a, a almost like a mini pharmaceutical company situation where there's a lot of money at stake. I mean, for, for oh. now, it's just a bunch of people selling at gas stations and liquor stores. But, you know, oh. what happens when, when, it's, when it gets its hooks into the, the fitness industry and all of a sudden hmm. it's... You know, people Super can make tons of money off it. Although yeah. there are big corporations, um, OPMS, MIT, um, and then there's this new, hmm. and you probably have seen it on Facebook ads, there's this other drink called Feel Free, hmm. the blue bottles, um, and it's a mix of Kratom and Kava, and they hmm, have gotten sponsorships from college teams. Wow. And there's a whole... Um, um, uh, quitting um free feel because for some reason oh, wow. that um people have been get really addicted to this mix of kava and kratom and they you know people swear that there mu there must be some other substances in it there i haven't yeah. seen any wow. proof of that but All i think sudden, one of the reasons i think yeah <laughs> it's, I it's marketed <laughs> as an alternative if you're you know to booze if you've wow. seen any of the advertising but there is oh, a, like an but, adaptogenic uh, drink. Yeah. Yes. You know, yes. Yeah. Okay. So it is, there is big money. The, the Kratom lobby is only, I looked at their 990. It's only a $3.5 million organization, but it's a really mm. effective lobby. It's basically one guy, uh, Matt Haddow. Um, so, wow. so yeah, so there's big corporations, a small lobby group, and then a bunch of passionate fans uh, um, who, you know, and I, I can feel, you know, if you're, you guys talked about how it's hard to get pain medicine if you're a pain patient now, you know, so people, mm -hmm. pain patients turn to Kratom um, to relieve pain that they can't get through the pharma. And, and it has less actually side effects than maybe a pharmaceutical. And so people like that should have access to Kratom. But I'd like to have a conversation where we can say, you know, some people get addicted and, you know, <laughs> And try to like there's this big pre pretending that it's not doesn't have addictive qualities, you know. But yeah, I don't understand why people would want to do that. Like even though I use it seemingly with you know no consequences, and it I do you know it perks me up like coffee maybe because I drink it with coffee. Still, I don't think it's uh, it's bad to say hey, people are really struggling with this, and you know we should you know because I'm worried when I hear stories like yours or. Or Bianca's, I think, wow, you know, we have to let our audience know that this is a real problem. And it does it. I mean, and it it's good because it makes me look at what I'm doing, too. But, you know, it's like anything, I guess, you know, when I go out and you see people have we always talk about alcoholics and somebody leaves half a glass of wine and you're like, how could you do yeah. that? <laughs> or if someone leaves the bar after one drink, we'd say that's like a magic trick. How the hell did you do that? So, yeah, the fact that everyone's different and there are dangers with the with any of these things. Yeah. I think that's important. I mean, so yeah. it's at risk to be enlisted. Uh, that's it. That's the yeah. issue. So that's the barrier. Yeah. Go ahead, Mike. Sorry to interrupt you. No, no, no worries. Uh, I just want to let people know where they can find the podcast, what it's called, all that kind of stuff. So if you want to plug away. Yeah. Yeah. It's just it's plug it. Kratom sobriety. Um, you can find us on any pod um, distrib distribution network. Um, and it's, Kratom Sobriety on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a real uh, small uh, community. <laughs> um, um, but uh, yeah, I've learned a lot from it. And I, I've said I'm going to do it for like 52 episodes and then I'm just going to reevaluate, you know, um, and uh, 
to continue or maybe pass it on to somebody else, you know, and most of the show is like interviewing other people um, with their, just their experience. So it's on the record and people can hear. And I, and I have been getting some feedback, you know, that it's helpful. Um, you, you guys, when you guys get emails or comments, it's nice. And some people aren't Redditors or they're not on Facebook. So right. like the, the podcast is the only thing. So I'm going to try to um, use them, a converter and put them up on uh, YouTube too, because um, YouTube seems to have a bigger reach or, or to a different demographic, you know, but I'm going to leave the, yeah. the comments off on yeah, on YouTube. Comment, <laughs> comments off. Yeah, so all you, you RMA listeners that for some reason or another have refused to leave us a five-star review, why don't mm. you all head on over to Kratom Sobriety and leave Charlie a nice five-star <laughs> review. <laughs> just give somebody a five-star review. Don't just yeah. sit there on your hands. Support, love support your favorite podcast because getting more five-star reviews means more people will get to listen and more people will be helped. And that is uh, our motivation. Begging and pleading. This. That's right. what we do. I beg every week and people still don't do it. But it's not true. Some people do. You know, not everybody. Anyway, that's... Um, yeah, I think that's going to be about it uh, for the um, Meet a Monster segment for today. I think that was an excellent uh, discussion. Meet um, the Monster. Yes. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I think we need right. Kyle to make a make a, a custom meet the monsters psychedelia, you know, something crazy. Somebody else should do that. I just grabbed this digital rights free music <laughs> off of some website. So yeah, that's all. Is this uh, part going to be axed? Oh no! No, we're everything in. Stays we're still alive. Oh yeah, everything we're stays in. in. Yeah. There's no editing that goes on here, or very little editing. Okay. <laughs> um, any parting thoughts or? Uh, yeah, no, I, 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 I'll just plug the, the discord community for RMA. I find it really helpful. You know, the, the Patreon fee is very modest and, um, and just, you know, doing this podcasting, it's a lot of work. I, I, now I have a new found respect for not to be brown nosing, but it, it is, uh, I, sometimes I regret <laughs> Yeah, like, it, it's tough. What did I start here? I thought, yeah. you know, I, it's been really rewarding. And I, I'm trying like, I only want to spend one hour of the day on it. And uh, to promote it, I end up being on the phone a lot. But anyway, so all you monsters out there, check out the RMA uh, Discord community. It is a real big s support. Awesome. Thanks Thank a lot. Thank you, Charlie. And we're, and we're back. Welcome. To it. We're um, trying to figure out the sound here. Yeah, there's some weird audio shit going on for sure. So hopefully it's not awful. Yeah. Zencaster, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Back to Castle Grayskull. <sighs> okay. Dun, 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 dun. Um, it was great talking to Charlie. Uh, yeah, thanks to Charlie for coming on. I mean, we talk to him uh, all the time on the uh, Inner Sanctum Discord, but... Like you said before, uh, we had to start the recording again. It's so different to see a person and um, and how much of a difference it makes. And you feel like you have a connection on on the online groups, and you do. But when you get into these Zoom meetings or 
uh, it's just, a, it's great. So thank you, Charlie. And uh, a lot of, uh, you know, the Kratom thing, you know, it's important. And, uh, you know, it's a danger that people should know about. Um, and there's always a misunderstanding when you see these things sold at gas stations. That should be the, an immediate, like, warning. Like, if this is sold at the local cigar shop, like Delta 8 and right next to it, you know, yeah. be wary. Be very wary. So um, because our interview went long, we are not going to review Take Your Pills today. We are going to put that off to next week. Is any, everybody in agreement with yeah. that? Yeah, I think because uh, I've got a lot of great uh, notes. I actually made somewhat of an outline like I used to. I'm trying to return to form, you know. I saw your and, outline. Uh, it's really, really compelling. It's great. I made one with ChatGPT, but it's not at all compelling because yeah. ChatGPT didn't watch the documentary. Well, I'd like to get back to, you know, the way I intended to do the show initially, which was preparation, a bit of a um, an outline to work with. And, um, yeah, I'm going to try and get back to that just so um, – that's how I want uh, the show is best, I think. Yes. All right. <laughs> well, we do what we can. So what we're going Next to do week. now is go to Recovery in the News. Recovery in the News. Yeah. Re in the News. Recovery. In the that? News. Recovery. Really? Huh. Recovery in the News. <laughs> Motherfucker. All right. I'm gonna, I think I heard it from your headphones. That's so bizarre, man. Yeah. We're going to have to like... You're right. Go back to Castle Grayskull. Nah, the fucking dogs. All right. Mm -hmm. So um, today's recovery in the news is a tale of two tabloids. Uh, for those of you that don't live in New York, um, we have tabloid journalism here, similar to what they have over in England, uh, although perhaps not quite as... Um, sensational. But there's two papers, right? There's the New York Daily News and there's the New York Post. The New York Post historically is a more conservative, right-wing leaning paper and the Daily News is more of a lefty sort of, I wouldn't say lefty, but a, lefty a more a democratic, liberal uh, tabloid. And recently the, there, there's been a, um, the mayor announced that um, New York City was going to provide these vending machines that stock uh, overdose reversing naloxone and a few other things and put them in neighborhoods that have had um, problems with overdoses recently. And the, the way that these two tabloids decided to frame the issue, I thought was really interesting. Uh, and you can sort of see a right-left divide in mm. uh, drug policy in a larger sense and, and how it's pursued by how these two uh, tabloids decided to discuss this issue. So first I'm going to read uh, the Daily News's entree to their story about this um, vending machine, okay? Um, it says, from a distance, it looks like a normal vending machine, but closer look reveals that instead of stocking candy bars and bags of chips, its racks are filled with drug test strips and the overdose reversing drug naloxone. The free hmm. public health vending machine will be unveiled Monday in Brooklyn by the city's Department of Health and Mental Hygiene, the first such machine in New York City. It's the city's latest attempt to beat back a pandemic-fueled drug overdose epidemic that has killed thousands, devastated families and communities, and contributed to a lower life expectancy. Hmm. Now, ready for the New York, New York Post? Yes. New York Post. 
Here's, here's their entree to the story. In a fresh move to enable addiction, City Health <laughs> Commissioner Ashwin Varson just unveiled yeah. a vending machine that dispenses free Narcan and drug test strips, along with safe smoking pipes, condoms, tampons, condoms. nicotine gum, first aid kits, and even lip balm. Start oh the countdown God, to the bomb. day free syringes get added. The pretense, I, I is, that this will, <laughs> the pretense is that this will stop or slow the surge in overdose deaths, along with other grim side effects of deep addiction. In fact, it will normalize and feed the plague by pretending mm -hmm. that safe drug abuse is a thing. Get ready for obvious addicts to start trying to sell you condoms, nicotine, gum, and so on. Anything to buy another fix. So, wow. Lip balm. I can't believe they're going after chapped lips. Um, that's the most shocking part of this. They're actually giving lip balm along with condoms. Like, what are they, what are these people doing? I, I don't know. Um, I think there was, there was probably some politics in what ended up being able to be stocked in these things. I think mm. if, if from the drug side, if you were going to give out naloxone, you also had to provide, um, some other products to satisfy some other interest groups. Right. I mean, I, I just, you know, tampons, but, condoms, yeah, right. Lip balm. So, I mean, you have the, the people who are advocating the reduction of sexually transmitted diseases by passing out condoms. And, and, and I guess they're like, well, if you're going to do naloxone, which is addressing one public health emergency, why don't we hand out condoms, which addresses another public health emergency? You know, I, I can understand the logic and everybody trying to get their thing into mm -hmm. the vending machine. Right. Um, anyway, there's four of them that are supposed to come this year. They are free. Uh, they're funded by the city. All you have to do to access what's inside of them is punch in your New York City zip code and it will come out of the vending machine. Um, and there'll be fentanyl test strips, naloxone, hygiene kits. Uh, and of course, the big uh, controversy is the fact that you can get um, crack pipes in there, basically. You can get them at a gas station. I guess the idea is that it's subsidized and that's the, yeah. that is the wrong message. Uh I, I yeah, that seems overly conservative and draconian. This treating, um, I mean, we're, I mean, I think as a show, we're generally for harm reduction, um, uh, even though we, we talk about both sides. I mean, it just seems that that other article, it's like infantilizing uh, our citizens and, you know, making light of of people's ability to make decisions for themselves, you know, like if someone uh, can get better or reduce their risk of dying, getting diseases, I mean, is, is that not a good thing? You know, uh, it gives them another chance to maybe get sober and, uh, and make their lives better. I don't know. I don't get that other side. I, I don't get it either, but I guess that's out there as, a, as the, there are people that think that way. Um, yeah. It's, it's, and it's not like the New York Post is going out of its way to educate people on a different way to think, right? I mean, it's, so they have an agenda and they're, they're pushing the agenda. And the agenda is that the administration of the city that happens to be run by a Democratic mayor is somehow yeah. facilitating and encouraging people to, to use and abuse drugs. When, you know, if you speak to the mayor and the people in the, the health department, the whole purpose of these things is to uh, is harm reduction and to help people not die. I mean, giving a, you should pass out fentanyl test strips on every street corner. They should, when you board a city bus, they should hand you one. You know, <laughs> I don't yeah, know how this is uh, controversial in the least. 
Yeah, it's a cost-benefit analysis too. It's like you know, what costs more to supply these naloxone uh, or the um, fentanyl test strips, or to you know that whatever it costs to send EMTs and the fire department out to all of these overdose deaths and the strain that also puts on you know the the uh, city and you know it's it's it can only do something good. I feel like you know if their real concern is that you know this is somehow tacitly approving drug use by providing these safety measures. I, I just don't agree with that. Yeah. Oh, I mean, the idea that you can uh, criminalize your way into ending a drug epidemic has been proven false time and time again. I mean, more enforcement is just simply doesn't, doesn't work. You have to, you have to get at the root causes of the, of the demand in the first place. And yeah. those are big social issues and, you know, people have a hard time tackling large social issues. So you know, instead, let's uh, let's throw some shade at people who are trying to do something to reduce the harm that comes from yeah. big social issues, I guess. You know, like New York Post says, stand up for the largely low income areas being turned into drug infested, chaotic turf, unsafe for families and children. I mean, OK, you know, um, is that really the the uh, going to turn it into that or are we addressing, you know, areas that are going through those issues and trying to improve them, you know, and improve yeah. people's chances at recovering? I don't know. I don't know. Sick, sad, the, the and twisted. Marxist in me wants to see more of a distribution of income across uh, across the population, so that poverty doesn't lead inexorably to uh, depression, hopelessness, and 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 drug abuse. But I don't know. That's me. Mm. Yep. So that's uh, that's the recovery in the news. Recovery in the news. Yeah. And I apologize in advance that. I'm not matching up with the music. I was pretty yeah. close, actually. Was it? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for bearing with us, folks. Uh, I had a great time. Yeah, I had a wonderful time. I don't love this Zencaster. Let's see how this sounded. Maybe we need to spend more time working on the technical side of Zencaster. Maybe we can make it good. Uh, I know I had a great time today. Did you? I just told you I had a great time. You asked me twice. I know I had a great time. Did you? <laughs> uh, visit us at middleagesrecovery.com, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Facebook, Instagram, Spotify, YouTube, Twitter. So tweet us at twat, you twit. Support your favorite show. That's us. Drop us a five-star review, please. Uh, join our Facebook group. It's free, easy, and exciting. It's Recovery in the Middle Ages on Facebook. Uh, join us in the Inner Sanctum. You can chat with me, chat with Mike, chat with Charlie, and all the other great monsters. Uh, last week, we interviewed Queen Liz of Munsterhaven, and uh, and we're going to be continuing the series with Meet the Munsters as the weeks go by. Um, the Inner Sanctum is joined uh, on patreon.com slash recovery in the Middle Ages. And finally, the best way to help the show is to uh, yawn on the mic, friend. to share it with a friend. Uh, so if you get something out of our show, and I really, we really hope you do, Share the love and help grow the RMA movement. And as we say, non proficiat perfectum. Progress, not perfection. See you next time. Goodbye, cheese bags. Stay fresh, like cheese that. bags.
Yeah.